I'm Haley B. Miller, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Diet Weed edition. This week, we're discussing which Ohio Senate candidate got sued for overtime, what happened to Sam Randazzo this week, how lawmakers want to improve school attendance, and why Governor Mike DeWine is going after Delta 8 THC. I'm joined today by Laura Bischoff. Hello, Haley. All right. Our first topic today is Senate candidate Bernie Marino and why he got sued by some former employees at a Massachusetts car dealership. A quick reminder, Marino is a businessman running in the GOP Senate primary, and he made a name for himself in the business world running car dealerships in several states, including Ohio. A few years back, over a dozen former sales employees sued him and said Marino didn't pay them overtime. It's a little complicated, so bear with me for a minute. At the time, Marino handled overtime the same way all auto dealerships did. Basically, they included overtime wages and the formula for paying folks based on commission. This is legal under federal law, but the top court in Massachusetts decided in 2019 that this practice violated state law. So cue a lot of payouts by Marino. Yeah, you know, I, I thought the story was kind of interesting, and I wonder if it'll have much impact in the um, in the primary. Like, will voters really be dialed into this kind of stuff? It it was a while back, but it seemed like it was, you know, he had more than a dozen lawsuits against him, right? Yeah, there was a lawsuit in 2017 that kind of kicked all of this off. And then in 2021, there were like 16 more employees that sued him. And then 14 of those cases ended up getting settled. We don't know for how much cuz those agreements tend to be private but he definitely paid them something. Yeah, and you know, the thing is that Bernie Moreno, he's he has been kind of part of his platform is like I'm a successful business guy, I know how to get things done. I think this is a little bit of a little bit of a mark against him, although as you say, he was following the uh prevailing practice at the time in Massachusetts. So maybe it maybe it won't even um make a blip with voters. Yeah, it's really messy. And Marino definitely throughout the reporting process for this pointed out that car dealers were doing this all the time. I suppose there's a separate debate to be had about whether this is the right way to be paying overtime. Folks that I talked to for this story said, while Massachusetts is unique, this court ruling made it stronger in terms of protections for workers and things like that. Also, the Associated Press, uh, Julie Carsmyth reported that there were three discrimination suits filed in Cuyahoga County between uh, 2015 and 2017, accusing Moreno and his uh, car companies of gender and age discrimination. So that's another little twist to this story about his business background. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, you have Moreno, who's a businessman. He's never held public office before, but we're seeing that he does have some of the strings attached that come with running companies. It's not always good stuff. And then you have Secretary of State Frank LaRose, State Senator Matt Dolan running in this primary as well, who have voting records that voters can look at instead. So it's just kind of an interesting dynamic that I think is going to play out. Absolutely. Our next topic for today is Sam Randazzo, who cannot seem to stay out of the news lately. A quick reminder, he is the former chairman of Ohio's Public Utilities Commission who got caught up in the House Bill 6 scandal. The Ohio Supreme Court decided this week to freeze his assets as part of the state's civil case against him, 
He was also indicted last month in a criminal case for allegedly receiving a bribe from First Energy. Basically, it's not great to be him right now. That's right. Uh, This civil case has been ongoing for a while, and um, Attorney General Dave Yost wanted to block Randazzo from selling off his uh, property and assets. Randazzo had transferred about, I think, a $400,000 property to his son and then sold two of his Florida properties worth about $4 million, sold off another Ohio property at $800,000 or so. And basically, the state was like, oh, you know, time out. He's going to be able to sell off or transfer his assets and then make himself kind of, um, you know, settlement proof. So this was sort of a preemptive move on the state's part. So what's the decks for the civil lawsuit now? Do we know? I'm not really sure. I'm I'm more interested in what's going to happen on the on the criminal side because, you know, everybody's been waiting since the sentencing of Matt Borges and Larry Householder back in June to f- terms in in federal prison over the corruption scheme, and it came out during that trial that Randazzo was heavily involved, and so finally, you know, he got charged, but everybody wants to know, well, what what's going to happen with the first energy executives whose names, you know, have been popping up saying that they were responsible for orchestrating the bribes to Randazzo and to Householder. And I'll remind everyone that Householder pled not guilty, so did uh, Matt Borges, and Randazzo has also pled not guilty and said he did nothing wrong. And the Randazzo indictment, I feel like, was a long time coming to some extent. I guess we never really knew for sure, but his name had been out there for a while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the governor appointed him to be the lead utility regulator in the state. That was a really powerful position. And, you know, in the trial, it came out, you know, how involved he was in House Bill 6. That's the $1.3 billion bailout bill. That's kind of the crux of this entire case. What's interesting is that indictment also accused Randazzo of a separate scheme in which he uh, allegedly embezzled like a million dollars from his other clients. In a, oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a pretty big whopper uh, document when that was filed. We uh, talked to Governor Mike DeWine today just as part of an annual chat that we have with him and asked him how he feels about Randazzo looking back on all of this. And, you know, he made the comment, obviously, if he knew what he knew now, he he wouldn't have appointed him. Right. But he he said, like, at the time, Sam Randazzo was known as the preeminent uh, subject matter expert in energy policy and that he had worked for utilities, he'd worked for big companies, and he'd worked for consumers. And, you know, on paper, certainly Sam Randazzo looked like a good pick. The governor's office was warned that there were concerns about him, but the appointment was made anyway. It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. I think we are still very much in the throes of the House Bill 6 fallout, despite, you know, Householder and Borges being convicted last year. Yeah, I think, it's you know, we're all waiting on Chapter 2. Our third topic today is a proposed plan to get kids to school. Republican Rep Bill Seitz and Democrat Danny Isaacson introduced a bill that would create a pilot program to pay kindergartners and ninth graders for showing up to class. The goal is to encourage good attendance and prevent long-term absenteeism. I could have made so much money as a kid. I would have cleaned up. I never skipped. I was such a nerd. Is this, I mean, you talked to Rep. Isaacson about this and looked into this. I mean, are other districts, other states implementing programs like these? There has been, there have been uh, attempts at incentive programs over the years, uh, usually at the district level, having to do with like trying to strive for perfect attendance or better test scores or, you know, a bunch of different metrics. And Isaacson told me that really this is a matter of like investing 
in creating a culture of attendance that uh, would you know, pay off in the long term because you wouldn't have the cost of chronic absenteeism and dropping out of school, which is, you know, very costly to society. And he also said that, you know, chronic absenteeism really kind of climbed up after the pandemic. And so there needs to be more of a focus. This is a pilot program. It's a bill that just got introduced, just got sponsor testimony. So it still has a ways to go before it were to become law. But the idea would be to name an urban district and a, and a rural district, you know, split it and pick a couple schools with high chronic absenteeism rates, and then do a control group of kids that don't get the incentives. Womp womp. And, yeah, too bad. And then uh, a control group of kids that would get payments. And the payments, they want to test different options. Like, you know, does it work better if you pay pay them every 25 bucks every two weeks or um, $150 at the end of a quarter or 500 bucks at the end of the school year? The bill also includes some um, cash for graduating high school. And Isaacson said this is to sort of like get kids who are in their senior year kind of on the bubble and to just like dangle that carrot out, like make it to graduation and you'll get at least 250 bucks. If you have a grade point average of of B or better, you get 500. If you have a GPA of 3.5 or higher, you could get uh, 750 bucks. I thought it was interesting that they wanted to try out different payment structures. Like, is it more rewarding for a kid to be paid every day or to get larger sums of money less frequently? That's probably something we ask ourselves as adults too. I mean, if I'm in kindergarten, I think I want that 25 bucks every two weeks. It's more akin to an allowance. If I have to wait for $500 at the end of the semester, I don't know. I think that's a a more abstract concept for a five-year-old. I think a ninth grader might be able to see, you know, the advantage of of a longer a longer play. Did Isaacson say why they zeroed in on ninth graders and kindergartners? No, I don't know why that's a you know a special point. I guess kindergarten because it's you know it's the beginning. Maybe ninth grade because it's the beginning of high school. Yeah, that makes sense. Our final topic for today is Delta 8 THC, which is sometimes called diet weed, and DeWine's crusade against it. This stuff is legal federally under the 2018 Farm Bill because it comes from hemp, and Ohio doesn't have anything on the books to regulate it. Because of that, it pops up in CBD shops and gas stations, and DeWine is worried kids are getting their hands on it. He held a presser this week asking lawmakers to tackle the issue, and he even brought props. They had like these cereal bars and gummies that he was showing as proof that these stores are trying to put Delta 8 products in packaging that's appealing to kids. I wonder who has to go out shopping to get this stuff for, for the governor for the press conferences. So I don't know if this was the same stuff, but the Ohio Department of Public Safety said they sent a couple 15-year-olds to a BP. And they recorded the transaction and they asked the kids to buy Delta 8 and they were able to buy some gummies without any issue. The clerk even asked them if they wanted a cookie as well. Uh, That's funny. I usually just pay at the pump. So I guess I'm missing out on these products. Yeah, it's interesting because retailers are out here saying that only bad actors are selling hemp products to kids. The good shops are carding for it and things like that. But DeWine has really zeroed in on this. And he says that it's only become an issue in recent years because people figured out how to synthesize Delta 8 from CBD, which is found in hemp. And users say that 
it's similar to Delta 9, which is the traditional THC that we're all familiar with, but it's a little bit more mild and not quite as intense of a high. And I guess that's why they call it diet weed. Yes. So DeWine really wants regulations on the books. He said he'd be thrilled with a ban, but he would also be fine with the products being moved to marijuana dispensaries where they could only be accessed by Ohioans 21 and older. And one more thing before you go. A bipartisan bill introduced this week would require porn websites to card their users. The goal is to keep Ohioans under 18 from accessing it online. It's already illegal for them to buy or view porn, but it is harder to regulate the internet. No truer words have ever been said. I mean, it is very difficult to regulate the internet. And the idea that you'd have all of this information being collected to try to figure out you know, are you are you over 18 or are you 18 or old, older is hugely prob- problematic. I think the porn sites are really pushing back against this. They're saying, you know, maybe it should be done at the app store level. I think it's going to be a huge battle. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can check us out on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Ohio Explained. 